let's turn to the scriptures now. It's Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through to 9. The title of my sermon is The Parable of the Barren Fig Tree. The Parable of the Barren Fig Tree. It's just four verses. Let's have a look at those verses again. Luke 13, verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. As we consider this parable about the barren fig tree, right at the very beginning, the application is easy enough to understand. It's about repentance. The verses leading up to this parable make that very clear where Jesus said in verse 3 I tell you nay but except ye repent ye shall always all likewise perish it and also verse 5 I tell you nay but except ye repent ye shall all likewise perish. If you were to look at Matthew chapter 21 and verse 9, you would see that fig trees grew wild at the roadside. Probably still do for all I know. But the fig tree in this parable wasn't wild at all. It had been planted in a vineyard. Presumably it was taking up good fertile soil. It was taking up space in the owner's vineyard valuable space in that vineyard yet still it was without fruit as it is written in verse 6 a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none in the first instance the vineyard can be seen to be the Jewish nation And the vineyard owner is God. For example, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 7, it is written, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. So that's not a difficult one. Let's take it that the vineyard is the nation of Israel, and the vineyard owner is God. Assuming that the vineyard is in the first instance the Jewish nation, then the fig tree itself represents Jerusalem. So you've got the vineyard as a whole, which is the Jewish nation. We've just seen that in Isaiah chapter 5. As for that fig tree, that would represent Jerusalem when you consider the preceding verses again. See how important it is to not just zoom in on the verses themselves you've got to look above and and sometimes underneath the verses if we look above the verses look at verses four and five 
Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In those verses, Jesus extended the fate of 18 Jerusalemites to all. It was a warning to all the unrepentant inhabitants of Jerusalem. Therefore, what can be seen in verse 6 is God coming to the Jews and finding no fruit of repentance in them. I say in them, it's important that we understand this, no repentance in them because, let's face it, we can all put on a good show of repentance, can't we? But God does not look at the outward show, he looks at the heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the masters of show. However, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. I wonder who amongst us is any different to those scribes and Pharisees of old. Putting on that show of righteousness, but inside full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Let's have a look at verses 7 to 9. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after thou, after that, that thou shalt cut it down. If we continue to look at this parable with the understanding that the owner of the vineyard is the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, the wine, the vine dresser rather, or the keeper of the vineyard can be seen to be the Lord Jesus Christ. As for the three years, a start point for that period of time might well have been when John the Baptist was preparing the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he was calling upon the Jews to repent. For example, in Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 9, John the Baptist said, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist said those words about three years before Jesus spoke this parable. Look again at um, verse 7. 
Then said he, that's the owner of the vineyard, unto the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And can you see that, uh, can you see John the Baptist there with that message of repentance about three years before Jesus spoke this parable? Not only did John the Baptist call on the Jews to repent, but so did the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Jerusalem and beyond Jerusalem. As it is written in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 and 15, now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Therefore, what we have in verse 7 is God calling judgment on the Jewish nation because over the past three years he had sought the fruit of repentance from them through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his prophet, John the Baptist, and he found none. What a terrible indictment on the Jews that was that despite John the Baptist preparing the hearts of the Jewish people for the coming of Jesus by calling them to repent and despite Jesus himself calling on the Jews to repent and to believe the gospel God nevertheless found no fruit of repentance what an indictment in verse 8 the vine dresser said to the owner Lord let it alone this year also till I shall dig it, dig about it, and dung it. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ interceded on behalf of the Jews, asking his father for another year. Three years had gone, Jesus was asking for another year. What you need to avoid doing is looking at these verses, or any other verses in the New Testament, and looking for some kind of conflict between God the Father and God the Son. What you mustn't do is start pitting the Son against the Father or vice versa. People tend to do that, especially when it comes to the cross. They see, they, they, they've got this picture of Jesus jumping in there in between Father and sinners. It's not like that at all. It's, it's the, the Father and the Son, uh, they, they covenanted in eternity that Jesus should come into the world. God sent his Son into the world to lay down his life on the cross. Don't look for any conflict within the Trinity because you won't find it. What can be seen in these verses is the wrath of God towards unrepentant sinners you can see the justice of God. He is a just God. You can see the long-suffering of God. The, 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 the fact that already three years have gone by and still no fruit. God has come looking for fruit and he has found none over a period of three years. Talk about long-suffering. It's not as if the Lord Jesus Christ was opposing the judgment of God on unrepentant sinners 
That's very clear when you look carefully at verse 9. Look at um, what the vine dresser says in verse 9. And if it bear fruit, well. If not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. You need to appreciate who, when we apply this, you need to appreciate who would be doing the cutting down. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God has committed all judgment to his son. We have a very clear picture of that judgment in John chapter 15 and verse 5 and 6 with Jesus saying, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth fruit or rather much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. This is Jesus talking about those who do not abide in him. They're cast into the fire. So again I say, I say don't imagine for one moment that Jesus was opposing his father's judgment on unrepentant sinners and that Jesus is soft on sinners. He most certainly is not. In verse 8, the vine dresser asked the vineyard owner for some more time to work on that fig tree during which he would dig about it and dung it or fertilise it with manure. I think they use softer words in some of the versions today, but I've got that um, digging and dunging. And dunging means fertilising with manure. By way of application, there was still some time left. Three years had gone by, there was still some time left before Jesus would lay down his life as an atonement for sin and ascend to heavenly glory. And during that time, he would continue to repeat, uh, to preach repentance for sin to the Jews. Then, just prior to his ascension to heavenly glory, Jesus gave the following instructions to his apostles and to the church. You find it at the last chapter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 46, 47. Jesus' commission to the apostles and by extension to the church. Have a look at those verses. Chapter 24, verse 46 and 47. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Verse 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? I'm still getting it wrong. 46, thank you. Thank you. Start again and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins 
should be preached in his name among, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. See the importance of that. That is the commission that Jesus left his apostles with. And the church, repentance and remission of sins. That is the message to be preached. Repentance towards God. Consequently, on the day of Pentecost, eight days after the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the throne of God, the Apostle Peter, what did he do? He preached a message of repentance in Jerusalem. He preached to the Jews who had, who had assembled and about 3,000 of them were baptised and added to the church on hearing that message of repentance. Beyond Pentecost, as can be seen in Acts of the Apostles again, the Jews continued to be called upon to repent and to believe the gospel. It helps me to remember this parable when I think of the digging as the law being proclaimed and stirring up the conscience, inducing repentance for sins. Well, that's the digging, the the inducing repentance. God digging in our hearts and, and, and working repentance. As for the dunging, what about that then? Well, for me at any rate, it represents food for hungry souls. The gospel It's the good news of complete forgiveness and everlasting life through faith in the vine dresser, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not the only one with this particular way of applying the digging and the dunging. The Bible commentator John Gill said the following. And by these phrases may be signified the various means Christ made use of by his own ministry and by the ministry of his apostles to make the Jews a fruitful people, and rather the means of Christ's ministers make use of, as did the apostles with the Jews, to reach the cases of barren professors, as by digging, striking at, and exposing some secret sin or or sins, which are the root and source of their barrenness, showing them, that they have no root in Christ, nor the, nor the root of the matter in them, and declaring to them the insufficiency of a mere profession of religion to save them, and dunging, which, as it supposes want of heat or coldness, which is the cause of barrenness, and signifies that such professors are without spiritual life, and without spiritual heat, or real warmth of love to Christ, his truths, ordinances, and people, and discharge their duty in a cold and lifeless manner. So it may design the means they make use of to warm and fire them with zeal of God and true religion, by preaching the soul-quickening doctrines of the gospel, and by laying before them the agreeableness of a becoming zeal, and the disagreeableness of a lukewarm spirit and disposition, an indolence and an unconcern for the glory of God and interest of Christ. It's quite a long passage I've quoted from Gill there. When you look at that, basically he's saying the same as me. Uh, he sees the, the, the digging as it, working repentance. 
rooting out sin, working out repentance, working repentance, and then the dunging is the 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 good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, gospel, the good news of forgiveness for sins. Similarly, when I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think of what was applied to the wounds of the man who was left for dead by those robbers. What was applied to those open wounds of the man who was left for dead? Oil and wine. And that helps me to advance from the earthly story to the spiritual application as I imagine the stinging pain of having wine poured on open wounds. That must sting. And then the relief of having oil applied to those wounds. For me, that's a picture of the stinging pain of being convicted of sin, of being brought to repentance by the law. And also the great relief that the gospel of Christ brings. You can't have one without the other. You need both. Whether you you accept my little illustrations or not, I hope you realise that you need that, that you need repentance from for, for repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in His gospel, that good news of Jesus laying down His life for sinners. Years ago, when by the grace of God I was first seeking God, I received visits from an elderly Jehovah's Witness. But all I ever got from him was digging and wine. I never got the dung. I never got the oil. He was good at telling me what a sinner I was. But he never proclaimed to me the riches of God's saving grace through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember these things for your own ministry when you're trying to reach people and witness to people. Digging and dunging, wine and oil. Both are important. It has been observed by the commentators that we're not told if that fig tree ever did bring forth fruit of repentance. Just a short parable there. We're not told at all what happened to that fig tree. As I've already mentioned... About 3,000 Jews were saved from their sins in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Later on, others were saved also. But by and large, the Jews remained a stiff-necked and unrepentant people. And in AD 70, Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed by the Romans. That event can be seen to be a fulfilment of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who, with reference to the temple, said in Luke chapter 21 and verse 6, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Finally, There is a much wider application when you consider this parable. That fig tree, it can just as easily be seen to be an apostate church. Not just Jerusalem, 
but an apostate church. One that has departed from biblical truth and that needs to repent. How about that? It's a reasonable application, isn't it? There are plenty like that around. For example, not far from here, we have the cathedral, which has within its grounds an evolutionary nature trail. Have you ever, have you been in the cathedral gardens lately? They promote evolution in their gardens. But ultimately, you need to ask yourself, am I that barren fig tree? Never mind Jerusalem, never mind the cathedral or or whatever. Look at yourself. This is what we all need to do. Does that fig tree speak of me? Have you shown repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are bringing forth fruit by the grace of God, you are someone who has come to saving faith in Jesus and you continue to believe that he was, that he has purified you by his sacrificial death on the cross and with his own precious blood. You continue to believe that he has clothed you in his own righteousness. Yeah? When you, you, you first, when you first became a Christian, if you're a Christian, you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't, um, a split second thing. You continue to believe. Day in and day out, by the grace of God, you believe in the Son of God, the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. And uh, likewise, if you are bringing forth fruit, you are someone who has shown repentance towards God. And this happened when you first became a Christian. Not only did you believe, but you repented of your sins. There was that digging and the dunging. That was, there was that oil and the wine you believed and you repented of your sins. And just as the believing continues, no matter how long you've been a Christian, one year, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, whatever it is, you continue to believe, likewise you continue to repent of your sins. Unless, of course, you are someone who has reached sinless perfection, and you no longer have any need to repent. That most certainly is not me. May each one of you, by the grace of God, be a fig tree in the vineyard of God that brings forth much fruit through, through repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.